Welcome to the Nerd Review. This is the show where we talk about movies, TV shows, video games, books, and comic books. Today you are listening to Season 2, Episode 22. Oh, what? Wait, what is that? Oh my god, do you hear that? The music is changing. That's right, folks. It's the Christmas season, and it is the second annual holiday special. Very excited to be doing a second holiday special here at the Nerd Review, and I hope everyone likes today's episode. This is the Nerd Review of the Classic the classic, the classic Christmas cartoons part one. We are going to talk about Frosty, Charlie Brown, Rudolph, and the Grinch, all those great characters. And today we are starting with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, as it is the oldest of all of these characters from 1964. Technically, it's older than that, and we're going to jump into all of that now. So let's jump into it. Let's start now. All right, before we jump right into it, I do want to take a quick moment to wish everyone, you know, a happy holiday season. I hope everyone is having a wonderful holiday season. I myself here at the Nerd Review celebrate Christmas with my family, uh, though it isn't really a religious event for my family and or myself. It's about uh, the traditions, about being together, eating wonderful food until we are so full that we can't button up our pants anymore, and all the fun and warm stuff that goes along with it. And, you know, over the years I've become one of the hugest fans of Christmas and the magic of this time of year and now if you don't celebrate Christmas you know that's all right I wish you a happy holiday and I hope you have a wonderful time of year my fiance is actually Jewish so we are broadening our holiday uh, to encompass more of the Jewish holidays and that's been wonderful I've learned so much in the last three years and now I hope uh, you'll enjoy this episode as much as I enjoy the holiday season because if you do that's that's great because I I really enjoy the holiday season. So we're going to go in order of release for these animated Christmas classics. And we're going way, way back, all the way back to 1964 with the absolutely bombastic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's right, the iconic stop-motion animation, or Animagic as it was called, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer will celebrate 60 years of consecutive broadcasting in the next holiday season. That's 2024. It'll be 60 years, making it this year the 59th year um, also making it the longest running tv special ever which is a testament to just how beloved this holiday classic truly is so let's dive into all things rudolph now uh like i said a couple minutes ago uh so i i will assume most people are familiar with the 60 year old tv special by now uh but just in case there are a few folks listening in who haven't had the absolute pleasure to watch the iconic classic let's take a moment to discuss the plot of the film because there are so many things and funny things we could talk about that happened during this film so uh, i mean it's the story of rudolph and his red nose preserving uh, you know per- preserving persevering in the face of judgment and ridicule to prove that his birth defect can be taken advantage of only when it becomes useful necessity oh yeah, took a dark turn no I'm joking I kid I kid uh, kind of it's it's one of the jokes that people always make about the story of Rudolph especially in the 1964 version because some of the characters come off a bit harsh and their wording and the way they emote or the things that they choose to worry about um, could be 
interpreted as you know kind of mean or you know like he utilitarian of these these animals and i mean yes they are sentient but you know santa still needs to have his sled pulled so uh you know let's let's jump into the plot of rudolph so it all starts with uh you know we got the birth of rudolph and his bright red shiny nose and as this special was adapted from the song which in turn was adapted from a poem uh in a short story and it'll i'll go into that after the plot summary there's some interesting you know like this guy knew this guy and how it all became uh Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the special. Uh, so the story really does follow the lyrics from the song, um, but there are some expanded parts and characters added into the mix to better flush out the story. Uh, also, it establishes that Donner is Rudolph's dad. I found that very interesting. And Santa, of course, uh, and most notably there is uh, Yukon Cornelius, Sam the Snowman, uh, Hermie, not Herbie. A lot of people get that. Uh, they mix up. They say they, they think it's Herbie, but it's uh, it's Hermie. Uh, and the Abominable Snowman monster who gave my mom nightmares little shout out to my mom uh, she said the other day that uh, that uh, character that that puppet because they're actually puppets used in the stop motion uh, gave her nightmares as a child so that's interesting this movie came out five years before she was born so it's uh, yeah it was like from my my grandparents decades you know that's that's how old this movie is it's a very very old uh, film here so there are a fair number of other characters in the film though and that's just the the gist of the main characters you got rudolph hermie Yukon uh, Cor Cornelius, the snowman, Santa, Donner. Um, there's also a love interest, but she's only in a handful of scenes. Uh, so, so Donner thinks his son will be made fun of for having a glowing red nose and slats on some mud or a piece of coal. I had always thought it looked like a piece of coal, but I'm pretty sure it's mud to hide Rudolph's nose. And during the first year, Rudolph blends in amongst his fellow reindeers until, you know, uh, of course, it can't last forever, and the fateful day when his nose protector would get knocked off, and everyone would see his bright, shiny nose, and the the fact that he's you know like defective or something, which was basically the moral of the story at the beginning, and. Uh, being adapted from the song, uh, the writers did a great job of incorporating these lines into the movie at various points. When they do reveal his nose at this point, uh, he is with Coach Comet. I like that uh, they're using like the other reindeer as like they are training the younger generation. So you get Coach Comet. Uh, and they also are making fun of Rudolph and they literally say, we won't let him join in any reindeer games. And thus Rudolph decides to run away from the North Pole, like any child who's been made fun of their first instinct is to run away from home that's a very good first instinct for children to have no i'm kidding of course that is a terrible instinct for a child to have who just runs away from home because they're being made fun of like wow that was terrible terrible decision making he should just like talk to his parents again or something but uh it's a movie so we gotta move on and like logic need not play part in in film like we've talked about this before so now uh, at the same time uh, and outside of the rudolph narrative a new character is introduced to the mix Hermie, the dentiste whom many people still debate whether or not dentiste is code for homosexual <laughs> and i'll be sure to circle back on that as well now Hermie not Herbie, uh, as many folk mistakenly misheard, like I said, uh, is an elf in Santa's village that doesn't want to make toys. He wants to fix teeth. Uh, and he's like fixing little doll teeth and stuff. They have like a little puppet and he's, you know, fixing little teeth and stuff. Uh, so he wants to be a dentiste. And after being shot down by the head elf and told that he needs to learn how to be
be an elf and do his ho-hos and his he-hes and all that stuff. Um, you know, it's, it, it, you know, he has to do all of that if he wants to fit in, right? And it's pretty rough treatment of an elf, but it was 1964. You know, so uh, decide, Hermie decides to, uh, much like Rudolph, that it's time to split. You know, he's never going to be a dentist here in the North Pole. Uh, so... You know, he's going to set out, and as luck would have it, these two kindred spirits of not fitting in uh, in the North Pole stumble upon each other before setting out of the village, and of Santa's village, and decide to be friends on this potentially perilous journey they have decided to embark upon. Now, and it isn't long after they leave that they realize that the world is a harsh and unforgiving place, though, to be honest, so is Santa's village, so still a lateral move, really. Uh, out in the wilderness, Rudolph's shiny nose begins to attract the attention of the abominable snow monster. Though, lucky for our two weary wanderers, it always, it also brings them, it always, it, I mean, it always does because that's how the movie goes, but it also brings them to Yukon Cornelius, my favorite character. I, I mean, I look like him if I put on all my snow clothes. Oh, you know what? That's a good Halloween costume. It just popped into my head. I'm going to go as Yukon Cornelius next Christmas. There we go. Okay. Uh, a prospector in search of gold or silver, depending on when you ask him. And actually, there's a trick answer, and I'll tell you at the end of it. And if you're a true Rudolphian, Ru Ru Rudolph fan, whatever, I don't know, what do we call ourselves? Rudolph fans? Rudolphian fans? Um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer fans, and you may have read an article or two about this, you may know what he's actually prospecting for, but if you don't, you will find out towards the end of the episode, so stay tuned. Uh, as he, yeah, he kind of changes his mind on that particular inquiry, like what he's what he's prospecting for, right? So we're going to continue. Uh, with the help of Yukon, together, uh, Rudolph and Hermie, they escape the rampaging snow monster on an ice shelf and sail across the water, all the way to the island of Misfit Toys, which is probably one of the best parts. And you can dissect this in so many ways. It's truly as depressing as any island filled with forgotten and dejected individuals, uh, such as Charlie in the box rather than Jack, a toy pistol that shoots jelly, or a Sally doll that is just straight up depressed. For uh, years, fans scratched their heads trying to figure out why the Sally doll was on this island, and most assumed it was for her lack of a nose, uh, because the, the doll physically didn't have a nose, but I mean, a lot of cloth dolls don't have nose, it's not something that was like particularly like you know freaking accurate there's not like sculpting faces onto cloth dolls so that was kind of a weak tea in my opinion uh so however according to rick goldschmidt the official historian for rankin bass productions the company that made rudolph actually answered the question in an interview and the answer is the doll was depressed for being abandoned by her owner which is a bit dark for a holiday special but there are a ton of other parts of this special that get a bit dark, so well, let's continue on our way. And it's here at the Island of Misfit Toys that the trio meet King Moon Racer, sort of Aslan fellow, if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, which I actually happen to be reading, and maybe we'll be talking about in an upcoming episode. Cool plug-in promo for my 
future episodes. Uh, so he's a lion with wings, and he's a doll, and you know he's part of the Island of Misfit Toys, and he's the king, apparently. And through him and some amazing lyrical work during the iconic We're a Couple of Misfits, uh, Rudolph and, sorry about the singing, uh, Rudolph and Hermie learn that they cannot simply run away from their problems. And life on the Island of Misfit Toys, you know, they can't, they can't live there, their lives there, uh, because the island is for toys and not people and after a good night's rest they decide to head back to the north pole village um unfortunately a bunch of storms and you know there's the abominable snowman and like you know all this space between them and the north pole is you know not not happy we already talked about that so and this in my opinion and many folks agree with me is where santa comes off a bit rough as well uh after rudolph manages to return to the village because you know seasons went by and he's gotten bigger and you know it's been it's been quite a while his parents and clarice the young doe that he was fond of all went looking for him and have not returned since and while delivering this devastating news that his family may be dead Santa says, and they haven't returned. It's just awful. Who will pull my sleigh tonight? Just totally making the situation about himself and that he needs to use Donner. Not that he actually cares about the life and well-being of the reindeer. He's just annoyed that he's being put out by the circumstances. And, you know, that's not a great look for Santa, I gotta say. is <laughs> pretty funny. It's just, you know, the way the way it's worded. You know, clearly he's he's preoccupied. Or clearly it's a kid's... It's like a 50-minute, you know, movie about a reindeer with a glowy nose. And uh, they weren't putting uh, that much thought into that part of the movie. And I don't think in 1964 anybody thought that Santa was a dick but when you spend the better part of you know 59 years analyzing a movie over and over again and you talk about it on chat rooms and stuff these are the kind of things that come up people come up with these these funny theories and I mean like I said about dentiste there's more to come now I'm going to gloss over the end a bit here because this is a holiday special not just not just a Rudolph special. This is part one, and I think people pretty much know how the story goes. You know, he's, won't you guide my sleigh tonight, and all that stuff. Uh, so there's a ton of interesting stuff I want to get to. So this film wraps up. Uh, they find Donner. There's a huge storm that comes in, and they think Christmas will have to be canceled until they come up with the idea of Rudolph guide the sleigh. Now, Yukon uh, Cornelius arrives with the abominable snow monster who just needed some dental work done and he calmed right down and Hermie got to be the dentist because they had you know no dental plan at the dentist uh, at the dentist at the North Pole and apparently you know a lifetime of candy and living at the North Pole almost all the dent all the all the all the dentists I'm getting tongue-tied here uh, all the elves at the North Pole had cavities and were in need of a dentist and so they you know they all got to find their place even though they were different and they stood out they were needed at the end of the day and that's about you know the the actual wholesome message about being able to stand out and you know facing adverse uh, adversaries adversity adversities facing adversity and then overcoming it and still finding one's place and that's that's the like wholesome message that is rudolph not that santa's a dick and that Hermes gay but for some some reason that's some of the things that keep popping up when you research this movie online 
And at the end of the day, it turned out that even the head elf had a cavity and that he would need Hermie to help him because he was probably in a lot of pain. And so he did find a place to fit in. And that's that's actually what it's about. Screw the internet, those fucking weirdos. Uh, I know I'm one of them, though, in some regards. Uh, so <laughs> let's move on. Uh, all in all, it's a very cute movie. And I mean, hands down, without argument, the best part of this movie is the stop motion animation or the animagic as the process became known uh, and was at its time a super new and innovative way of making animated features compared to the traditional 2d cell animation of the time i think the other specials in in you know like frosty charlie brown the grinch they all use the traditional animation for the time whereas rudolph has a completely different look and feel and this was done by creating amazingly detailed puppets uh that's Right there, the, the entire cast are exceptionally exquisite puppets that you know, the that range in size from Rudolph at four inches. You know, that's it's so small, four inches. I had a ruler on my desk. It was a 12-inch ruler. Four inches is so small. It's almost the space between, like, your index finger and your thumb. Like, it's, it's barely more than that, depending on how big your hand is. Uh, and, I mean, the Abominable Snow Monster was only 14 inches tall. It was, it was just bigger than my standard-issue ruler. And Santa was somewhere at eight inches. And using, you know, this form of the animation, it took... 24 frames per one second of animation, which is absolutely incredible. Meaning that to animate the entire special feature that has a runtime of 51 minutes, it took a mind-boggling 73,440 individual frames to animate the entire thing. Meaning moving the mouthpieces, moving the articulated arms, moving them left and right, and 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 all of this was done, you know, in the the sets that were built to scale of these, you know, at, at most 14-inch character, and at the smallest, you have these four-inch characters. And I mean, the the baby Rudolph had to be even smaller than four inches because he was like a little ball at some point. It's absolutely amazing. And this is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of how much work and effort went into creating this iconic classic. Um, so let's just jump into all the awesome behind the scenes stuff now so we're gonna start with i mean we already started with some cool bu uh, puppet Im information and stuff so let's start with the budget now because it's absolutely fascinating in my humble nerd opinion just uh just, just how much work and effort went into this and the budget is 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 pretty spectacular when you think about it so the puppet for santa and Rudolph cost a whopping $5,000 each. And we're talking 1964. Factoring in inflation and adjusting for today's value, that would mean that each puppet cost $48,000 for two out of the 200 puppets that were carved for the production because they're actually made out of wood. According to Ichiro, Ichiro Kum Kumuro, I'm not very good with names. It takes me a couple of times to pronounce it. The puppet maker for the film uh, says that each character's puppet was recarved by hand for various movements and expressions rather than using plaster and mold because it wouldn't have been exact and the plaster head is very heavy for animation. Now, once you've created 200 puppets and presumably they all didn't cost five grand to create, as it's reported, the total budget was approximately 
$1,000, which includes all the puppets and the sets that were created for the miniature puppets, plus the, all the voice acting, which was primarily done in Canada, very cool, and composing, because it was a musical and all of that that went into the film. Again, adjusting for inflation, the modern cost to make Rudolph is a staggering $4.5 million. That's, that's astronomical for the time. All of these funds actually came from General Electronics, as the specials were being broadcast during the GE Fantasy Hour, which was a segment of TV programming that drew viewers in uh, with the fun specials like Return to Oz and, of course, Rudolph. Uh, more on that in a moment. So, along with the $4.5 million, or 500000 in 1964, from start to finish, it took 18 months to create the Rudolph TV special. And all that hard work and funding really paid off. From the very first airing, it was an absolute smash hit. And according to the records and the stats, it was watched by 55% of television viewers in the United States. That is absolutely amazing. Now, I've worked out the math on this, very, very rough math. Uh, and according to the statistics that have been provided, so there's a margin of error here. But if you go with me on this, according to the Census Bureau survey, 90% of American households had one or more TV by January of 1963. Now, while the population of the United States was in, in 1964 was one, uh, it was 190 million people, 895,000. So 90% of 190 million people owned at least one TV, meaning in 1964 that there was 171 million householders, you know, people owned a TV and 55% of those TV owners tuned in to watch Rudolph. That's absolutely insane numbers. If a TV show today got anywhere near 55% of all TV owners, that show would never go off the air. That'd be the most lucrative TV show to have ever aired. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, and every year since this enigmatic Christmas special about overcoming adversity and self-acceptance has persevered and become the longest running TV special in history, which I said before, which is just amazing. I've watched this special at least once every year since I was a kid. And, and the Rudolph media definitely didn't stop. There's so many different versions and sequels and other tales of Rudolph that he's become an iconic holiday character all on his own, which is just absolutely outstanding. And over the years since 1964, um, it's it's been it, it's been changed. Actually, Rudolph has seen changes and tweaks as new versions of the special were aired. So directly following 1964, uh, after many fans wrote to Rankin and Bass about the Island of Misfit Toys, that Rudolph, Hermie, and the Yukon Cornelius didn't keep their promise to return with Santa to find all the Misfit Toys a home. Well, this couldn't stand at all. And after piles of letters received in the following months, Rankin and Bass decided to make things right and in the 1965 version the special includes a short scene in which santa and the reindeer return to the island of misfits and deliver them to new homes and everybody lives happily ever after it's very nice uh now another interesting fact uh rudolph would continue to see changes as the years went on the song fame and fortune would replace the iconic we're a couple of misfits 
outfits, and it wasn't until the 1998 restoration that Where a Couple of Misfits was returned to the special. And it wasn't until the subsequent DVD release that included the rare and fabled original peppermint scene. Now, uh, the peppermint scene is something that I alluded to earlier, so if you are a true Rudolph fan, you may have known this fact already. Maybe you saw the original, maybe you have the DVD special, or maybe you're just a cool factoid person like myself. But Yukon Cornelius, what was he prospecting for? Was it gold? Was it silver? Why did he always lick his axe and then say nothing? Because what was he actually prospecting for? What was it? Peppermint. The scene that was restored is him at the North Pole outside of Santa's village prospecting, and when he licks his axe, he shouts, Peppermint! Peppermint! I found a peppermint mine! And he's super happy. He found a peppermint mine. He wasn't looking for gold or silver. He was prospecting for peppermint, which explains why he randomly licked his pickaxe and you know, said nothing. It was very funny. It was for 34 years, people were scratching their heads wondering why Yukon Cornelius kept licking his pickaxe. And I find it equally as funny when you consider the reason why it was cut, because they needed room for commercials and to allow for the 1965 edit where they returned to the Island of Misfit Toys. They needed to edit a scene to be slightly shorter so that they could include the extra scene while allowing for commercials. And commercials brings me back to the role of General Electronics, because they played a role in the story, providing all the funding to create one of the most iconic Christmas special ever which was not their intention. While they did seek to innovate and entertain, the GE Fantasy Hour was to was a product to sell products. It was, it was a segment that used the animations and their characters to demo and sell products to the public. So yeah, that's right. Rudolph is, in a way, a spiritual ancestor of every Saturday morning cartoon that was created for the purpose of making kids want to buy those action figures. Mind-blowing revelations here. General Electronics used the puppets from Rudolph for printed ads in the newspaper, as well as three, though some sources say four, 60 second commercials that were played during the general uh, electronics fantasy hour. Just some of the products being advertised included a cordless electric carving knife, an electric blanket, electric toothbrush, deluxe electric can opener, electric skillet, and deluxe electric toaster. Well, electric theme kind of here, like General Electrics. Now, while the exact impact of the General Electric Fantasy Hour on selling GE products is not widely documented, I would think it's safe to say that they probably sold a decent amount of these products as a direct result of these TV specials, or they wouldn't have continued to pour funds into the creations of more and more TV specials over the years, such as Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Frosty the Snowman, Twas the Night Before Christmas, and many, many more specials, all produced by Rankin and Bass throughout the 60s and 70s. Which is an amazing, it's amazing the, the way it encompasses all of these things. A company wants to advertise, and they want to do this on television, and so they come up with, you know, a program that, you know, they allow you know, creative people to tell creative entertainment fantasy stories, and then they use that to market products. And at the end of the day, General Electronics set out to sell those products, their toothbrush, their cordless knife, but they 
they enabled other people to be creative and to tell stories and that those stories then became iconic in and of themselves and then created their own franchises and stories and you know entire worlds of their own you know Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer has probably 10 different movies multiple books you know stuffed animals toys I grew up everything Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was synonymous in my brain I knew the song I I had, you know, my favorite Rudolph book. I, I had everything Rudolph. And it's amazing to think that it all went back to General Electronics wanted to sell new products. And I just think that that's, that's wild that it all kind of like comes back to such simple, you know, it all started in a boardroom. It all started with a meeting. We want to sell this. We want the product to be this. We want them to see it on TV during this time. And it, it's kind of like Coca-Cola creating the, uh, the current iconic version of Santa. It was during an ad campaign, I believe, during in the 60s. The 60s was a very influential time period, apparently. We were all very influential. Influ no, in influenceable. We were influenceable. No, I don't think that's the word. <laughs> the, the advertisers were influential and we were impressionable. That is the word I was looking for. We were very impressionable. Now, uh, before I wrap up uh, part one of the holiday special and we move on to Charlie Brown Christmas next week as it came out next chronologically, I will take a moment to address the whole dentist is code for gay thing because I was curious uh, where and why and when this idea began and it would appear that this notion that Hermie is gay doesn't have a clear specific origin as it is a more of an interpretation of Hermie's character and it likely emerged over time as societal attitudes societal attitudes towards LGBTQ plus representation in media evolved from all that I've read which is quite extensive and a lot it boils down to people wanting Hermie to be gay and asserting that his non-conformity not wanting to make toys is a representation of breaking away from societal expectations including gender norms which, to be completely honest, is a bit of a stretch. Now, there was other examples, uh, you know, that Hermes' friendship with Rudolph and Yukon Cornelius and, you know, rejecting the elves and the head elf uh, is evidence of a deeper connection and demonstrating the chosen family dynamic. Uh, and some fans may read into these relationships and interpret them as potentially being romantic. And again, in my opinion, in my humble nerd opinion, if you have to manipulate everything and read between the lines to create a conclusion that is a pretzel, it's a bit of a weak concept. I mean, that said, I do think it's worth noting that these interpretations are subjective, just as my humble nerd opinions are. The creators of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer did not explicitly confirm any particular sexual orientation for Hermie. Fans may project their own experiences and perspectives onto characters contributing to diverse interpretations within the fan community, but ultimately decisions about the character's sexual orientation in any fictional work often involve personal perspective and interpretations rather than concrete canon information provided by the creators. And in some cases like this, we probably will never get a concrete answer, and that's okay too. But sometimes we get an interview like the whole Susie doll, and you know, 30 years later we find out that Susie was just depressed. So 
maybe we'll get an answer to that question one day. Maybe we can ask the official uh, historian at Rankin and Bass. Maybe next year during the 60-year anniversary special of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which will definitely be advertised all over the place. I guarantee you by like next October, next November, you will be seeing signs for that. Uh, and and that is where I'm going to end today's episode. This you know has been part one of the holiday special, and I hope you have enjoyed this Christmas classic special. Uh, as I said at the top of the episode, this is only part one. Part two will be available hopefully next week. Uh, we do have the holidays coming up. It is Christmas this coming weekend, next Monday. Christmas Eve is on the 24th absolutely unbelievable uh so hopefully it will be available next week and we shall be jumping into charlie brown uh charlie brown's christmas and possibly the grinch as these two holiday specials are only about a half hour long and rudolph was about a 51 minutes so it was just one time 51 minutes so it, it really depends on how much cool stuff i can dig up during my research phase as clearly that's like where the bulk of today's episode was it was very interesting researching all of this and stuff um so We'll see how long it turns out to be. Maybe we'll talk about both of them in one episode. Maybe it'll just be one. Uh, but part two, hopefully next week, Christmas special before we end the year here at 2023. Can't believe it's wrapping up so fast. We only got about a week here left. So thank you for listening to today's episode of The Nerd Review. This has been The Nerd Review of the Christmas Classic Cartoons Part 1, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Without further ado, this is The Nerd signing off.